England Baseball Journal podcast presented by Firecracker Sports. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest recently returned from the Perfect Game WWBA World Championship, where he coached the Red Sox scout team. Former Red Sox draft pick and Peabody High School baseball legend Steve Lamazny led a collection of New England's top high school prospects in the class of 2022 to the round of 16 in the most prestigious showcase event of the year in Jupiter, Florida. I'll ask Steve about how he selected the team and which of the New England players had the top performances. Steve is also the founder of the show Baseball and Softball Academy, which will be expanding to his hometown of Peabody. We'll talk about his experience as an instructor as well as his experience coming up through the Red Sox farm system. Before we welcome Steve to the pod, here's a look at some of the ways you can engage with us at New England Baseball Journal. Many of New England's D1 college teams are wrapping up the fall season, and we will take a look at some of the standouts from each of the New England programs on our website at BaseballJournal.com. We recently ranked the top 20 players who will be in the mix for the 2022 MLB Draft heading into the spring season. Visit BaseballJournal.com to find any of those stories and sign up for our free email newsletter, which goes out twice a week and highlights the latest content on BaseballJournal.com. We're also in the final stages of production on the fall edition of New England Baseball Journal. This print publication will include prep previews as well as college features at the D1, D2, and D3 levels. If you want to receive the fall edition at your home or office, click on the subscribe tab at BaseballJournal.com. That publication will go to press at the end of October. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Here's Steve Lamazny, who will join us by Zoom. Steve, thanks so much for joining the pod. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and you were just getting back from uh, spending a couple of weeks down at Florida at the Perfect Game WWBA cha- World Championship. Um, and you said your your wife had a list of chores for you to do when you got back. How, how's the return to New England been so far? Uh, it's It's been busy. We've got uh, between the... The, the, the program itself uh, show and, and catching back up with the family and, and making sure I'm, I'm doing all the stuff I need to as a, a husband and father. It's, it's been, uh, it's been busy to say the least. Yeah, I bet. Well, we followed the WWBA championship as closely as we could from up here. And it looked like a great experience for both the coaches and the players, which is kind of what you said when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, how did you, how did the opportunity for you to coach the team come about? Um, I was able to get a, uh, acquire a bid last year uh, with a gentleman named Bob Parks. He, he had been doing it as a PG Navy select team out of the Northeast for a number of years. And um, when, when COVID hit, he, he was going to not go down and, and do the team. So uh, I convinced him to allow me to, to take on the bid and, and grab players and get down there. And um, it was my first experience coaching down there. I, I had been down, years previously just to kind of be around the tournament, but uh, it was a good experience. We played a lot of really good games. Um, we were a little thin in, in talent, uh, but competed. And, and when I say competed, every game was a one run game. We, we actually uh, in pool play, we tied Canes national who I think went on to either finish second or win the whole thing that year. Um, and then from there, you know, I, he was really happy with the way I handled things. Um, and, and what I wanted to do from there is, talk to the Boston Red Sox to them and, and try to do a scout team, which they hadn't had there in previous years. So went through the process with their scouting director um, and it all came to fruition. And it was a great experience. That's great. Yeah. And to give people an idea. So there's regional teams and then there's scout teams for, you know, for major league affiliates. 
And um, there's two, there were two teams that were based out of New England. The Red Sox scout team was one. NEB National was the other. How do you go about selecting the team? Um, obviously, I, I lean heavily on the scouts. Um, they, they're in the circuit. They're doing the things. Uh, they're going to all the events. They're seeing the players. Um, I've been involved with the area codes in the Northeast for a while now. Um, do a lot of batting practice for those guys. Hit a lot of fungos. Uh, help them out with the catching stuff. So I, I get around the summer rivalry, which was a great event for us, the area code tryouts. So I'm, I'm boots on the ground at those events to see those players. Um, and, and honestly, it's a lot of advice from, from a lot of, uh, uh, excuse me, I should say recommendations from a lot of guys that I trust in the game. Um, there's a lot of really good programs in the Northeast. And, you know, I myself have my own program and, and, and I didn't want to make it about that. And I wanted it to be, you know, all inclusive. And anybody that wanted to send their players and they're talented enough and they, they belonged on that roster, um, whether it be the Nor'easters, Nakona, Seacoast, um, New Hampshire Prospects, uh, Antonelli Baseball, they, we, all, we had a player from all of those programs come down, um, as well as the recommended recommendations from the scouts and those players throughout the Northeast. And it turned out to be a great experience and a really good team. Yeah, you mentioned um, the Red Sox scouting director. Uh, was that Ray Fagnant? We've had him on the on the podcast. Yeah, so Ray, Ray's the regional scout. The scouting director is Devin Pearson. Oh, okay. um, so Ray, yeah, yeah, Ray, Ray connected me with Devin, and uh, you know we went through a little bit of back and forth. Not not too much. It wasn't very difficult. To, just as long as they, um, you know, we were doing all the things that that uh, represent the Red Sox well, and and that was the most important thing. The the name itself and and the representation of of the Boston Red Sox was really really important. Um, and you know I think we did a great job. I think it was a great experience. The kids uh, had a had a great time. Um, tremendous amount of gear sponsored by Wilson, Evo Shield, Louisville Bats. Like the kids got so much stuff. Um, it was a great event. It, it couldn't have gone any better other than winning the whole thing. I guess. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I, ta- we had Matt Hyde on a recent podcast who's, um, you know, as you know, he's a Yankees regional scout and yep. he was talking about, uh, the summer rivalry rivalry classic. He also does the area code games and East coast pro showcase and things like that. Uh, and he was, you know, he talking about the difficulty going into events like this, where they're so heavily scouted and you're playing with guys who you wouldn't normally, it's not like your high school team or even your travel team or club team. It's, it's guys who you're basically playing with. It could be for the first time. And he right. was talking about sometimes, you know, that it's difficult in that environment because guys are playing a little bit more as individuals and they're really trying to uh, stand out on their own. And they're not as worried about the team aspect of it. Uh, what was your message to your guys going into the tournament in terms of motivation? Um, it was just that, uh, you know, I, 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 had a line that kind of got everyone laughing. I said, guys, we need to pretend like we really love each other. And, and, and you know, some of you guys are meeting each other for the first time right now, but, but let's, let's fake it. Let's fake it for a week. Like in, and let's play team baseball. Um, you know, the, the talent, the talent pool down there is tremendous. It, it really, really is. And, and the environment that we live in with showcase and in, in individuality and, and these kids all want to get drafted on their own. The reality is they have to compete to win. And if they're competing to win, then they'll show well. And the group that we had bought into that. And, and I mean, within hours, they gelled. Uh, it, it, we were fortunate enough to get an exhibition game under our belt before we started our pool play. And I think when after that game, our guys looked around and said, man, we got a really good team here. Let's let's play some team baseball. And and it was it went well. It went really well. Yeah, the talent level was extremely high uh, for the Red Sox scout team. And 
even some guys who were initially on the roster, I know were shut down guys like Joe Allen from uh, Winnicott high school in New Hampshire. He's a guy who can throw 95. Evan Blanco has had some experience yep. with the USA national team, Matt Travis, Travisano at nobles. And if you know, some of those best guys in the class of 2022 for new England had been shut down. Does the timing of the tournament make it difficult at all to compete on a, on a national level? It definitely does. Um, you know, especially with the multi-sport guys, you know, you, you get the football players, they're in football mode. It's, it's really hard to pull them to get down there, even though their future is probably going to be with baseball. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an advocate for multi-sport athletes. I was a football guy. Uh, I know how hard it is to, to draw somebody from being an impact player on a Friday night for their high school football team to go down and compete in a tournament. So it does get difficult. Plus, the innings that these guys, some of these guys are putting on their arms is also important. You know, you don't want to bring guys that have thrown so many innings throughout the course of the summer down there, but this is the nature of the beast. And and these scouts need to see these guys. And the timing of the tournament is, in my opinion, a little bit late. Um, you know, I've never seen a guy get drafted in October. Right. The draft is always in the, in June. So, but it is important to compete and compete at a high level. And, and um, you know, when you talk about your stock as a player, you go down to these tournaments and, and you can really, really raise your stock going into the next year. Definitely. And uh, you were, you were, um, you, you helped us out in terms of giving uh, scouting reports on a lot of these guys who played really well down at yep. the tournament. Um, I want to go through some of those and we have some of this stuff on baseballjournal.com, but I just wanted to go a little bit more in depth. One of the guys who pitched really well down there, he said he was one of the most important pitchers on your staff Avon Cabral, who's recently committed to Northeastern. He's a St. Mary's of Lynn guy who I think pitches for uh, Antonelli baseball on his travel he does. team. Yep. Yeah. What, what did he look like down there? What did you see out of him? He, he probably came in and pitched in the highest leverage uh, early in the tournament. You know, it, it was, it was a game where if we had lost that game, um, we were going to be in trouble and we, we probably wouldn't have gotten out of the pool without winning that game. Uh, he came in in a bases loaded situation with nobody out. With we had a, a, a small lead at the time, and and um, he gave up a run, but it it wasn't an earned run. He literally could have walked off that that mound without giving a run in a no out situation with the bases loaded, and and he kept us in that game. And the next inning, we uh, hit a three run home run to put us way ahead, and and you know, but that that situation could have gone in the opposite direction where it turns from a one run to five runs. Um, you know, he, he, he was, it was so important. And then he started our, our playoff game and, and got us through the third inning of, of shutout baseball before we got on to the next guy, because we didn't want to roll guys out there to have to pitch seven innings. Like we wanted everyone to get opportunities. We wanted to go pitch counts around 50, 55 at max, um, and, and give everybody an opportunity, but at the same time, you know, win, try to win games. So, um, the innings that he put in, in the leverage situations that he was under, he was outstanding, outstanding. And Liam Doyle's another guy who performed yeah. really well down there, put a lot of zeros up uh, yep. in high leverage situations. He recently committed to Coastal Carolina. Yep. Do you think uh, these this performance helped him in terms of you know solidifying some scholarship money? Uh, no doubt. I, I know going down there, there was a lot on the table for him with a few other schools, um, but the performance that he put in and, and you know the stuff that he has in a left handed arm. He's, he's where he belongs and, and he's very, very good. His compete level is very, very high. There, there was no moment too big for him down there. And you could just see that mentality about him. He's, 
you know, I'm, I'm big on the eyes. Like I, you know, you look at players eyes and, you know, you see that that kid wanted the ball and, and uh, there was a certain, there was a situation where we rolled a guy down to the bullpen after he walked a player and he stepped off the mound and he stared at me, got back on the mound and he struck out the next three guys. Like it was just an awesome, awesome moment for me to, to see that type of compete level. Um, like put that guy back on his, on the chair, you know, I'm, I'm finishing this inning. So he did great for us. He was also a high leverage guy, playoff game guy, and he got us some big wins. That's great. Yeah. And one of your guys with the show also really stood out down there, Albert De La Rosa. Um, he just recently, you know, after this uh, performance yep. at the WWBA championship committed to Seminole state, which is a Juco down yep. in Florida. Um, he's really kind of burst onto the radar in the last month or two. Where, where did he come from and how, how did he rise so fast? Um, you know, it was funny. I, I, I was in my original facility was in Lawrence and, and I've, I've taken over since then a, a facility in Salem. And uh, one of our coaches, Tyler Pacheco uh, last fall said, Hey, I, I got this, I got this, a uh, Dominican kid that is, is really good on our team and he doesn't have a team to play for. And he might be the best player in the league. And I said, okay, bring him in. Let's, let's work him out. And it, it took me all of 30 seconds, you know, to, to realize the kid was special, um, but under the radar and, and lost uh, in kind of in, li- in limbo with, without any direction. So brought his family in, sat him down, um, talked to him about what we do as a program and, and, and some of the avenues we could get his, you know, his baseball abilities and some of the eyes we could get on him. And um, he played for me, my team, he was my shortstop uh, throughout the course of the summer and uh, just a, a tremendous player, like just tremendous all around type of player, but defensively I'll, I'll put him against anybody in the country. I, I, I really will. Um, but he needed, he needed to play at a higher level. Um, air mass uh, kid plays at air charter school. The, the, the competition level was a little bit lower. So where his skills were tremendous, he hadn't competed at that level. Um, and then going down to Jupiter and he was great all summer, but again, you, you can get lost in the shuffle in the summer, but you get down to this Jupiter tournament, you go out there and do the things that he did. Um, he really, really uh, solidified his, himself as, as one of the top players in the Northeast and, and a guy that I'd be following for the next couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jack Goodman's a guy who just looks like a baseball player. He seems to always play well. Anytime I've seen him, he's a commit to uh, Pepperdine university. Yeah. Uh, how did he play down there? He was awesome. Awesome. One, I, I, probably walking out of there, you know, you, you, you don't want to pick favorites, but he, he's one of mine. I mean, I, I love that kid. He, he's just a competitor. He goes out there and he's going to give you everything he has, but at a very high level. So um, th- there was no fastball that was too hard for him. There was no moment that was too big. Um, you know, he didn't get a hit every at bat, but he was in every at bat. And, and that, and that goes a long ways. You know, you watch, you watch the ALCS right now and you watch the grind of at bats that they put on these pitchers and, and it takes a toll. And, and he's the type of that ki- type of kid that's going to compete in, in those moments. Um, he's very good defensively shortstop second baseman. Uh, but there was also a time where one of our outfielders came up sick and we had to throw somebody in the outfield. And the only other outfielder we had that was serviceable enough was actually pitching that day. So we were short and, and Jack was coach put me in left field. I can do it. No problem. Like, throw me out there and uh, just love that mentality. Pepperdine got a really, really good player, really good player. They're going to love him. Yeah. You love to see that as a coach when guys are willing to put themselves out of position, especially when, you know, in a tournament like that, where it can be an individual thing and you want to get scouted at the position that you're most comfortable at. 
Uh, two yep. two guys from New England who kind of fell into the same category from when we uh, spoke a week ago. Colby Pascarelli and Charlie Walker were both guys who yep. pitched well down there, but we're going to get a bigger opportunity if you had advanced any further beyond the round of 16. What did you see out of those two? Uh, pitchability. Um, they both have pitchability. And, and, you know, where you get down to these tournaments, I know how important velocity is, and, and they want to see the big velocities. I'm a believer in pitchability. Guys that can control multiple pitches in the strike zone. If you fall behind, you can throw a breaking ball at any count. And, and both of those guys showed that. And, and if we had won that next that, that game that we played uh, against Doolin to go on to the next playoff game and then the next playoff game, those are the guys that were going to be on the bump in those games. So they were going to be in the highest leverage situations uh, in the tournament. And, and we were had all confidence in the world that they were going to go out there and compete because they can control their stuff in the strike zone. Um, we had a very good offense and, you know, we got out, we got outplayed against Doolin. Their kid, their, their pitcher pitched a great game. One of those games, you just got to tip your cap. Uh, but if we move forward, those are the guys that we're going to be leaning on big time. Hmm. And I wanted to ask you about one guy. Uh, I'm, I live in Lowell, Massachusetts, so I saw this guy a few years ago. Um, and now he's, it looks like he's gained like 40 pounds since the last time I saw him. Raymond Vas- Velasquez. Uh, yeah. I saw a few tweets early in the tournament. He had some big hits. Uh, what, right. did, what did you see out of him? Uh, again, ultimate competitor. I mean, there's, there's a kid and, and he's probably one of the best leaders I've ever been around. And, and, and I've been doing this for a long time, but the kid just exudes leadership. Um, and, and that quality is, is so important in this game. Um, he, he's the, he's the guy that, that gels everybody, you know, there, there, there was no one there that he wasn't walking up to saying, Hey, how you doing? What's your name? Come on over here. And let, let's, let's get involved with all together. And, uh, you know, in his at bats, again, highly competitive at bats and probably two or three of the biggest hits early in the tournament to really set the tone because you get in those atmospheres and, and, and you want to be the guy, but you, you don't know if you're actually the guy until you're in that moment. And, and uh, he was the guy early in the tournament for us that really, you know, popped a few base hits against some plus pitching. Um, and our guys it just kind of exuded confidence through the rest of the team and the bats just started clicking and clicking and clicking. And, um, you know, he, he again, I, I love Raymond. He, he, this is two years with me down there. Uh, the Nor'easters have done a great job with him. Um, I know Tim, Tim Daniel has, has done a great job. A lot of invested in him um, as a young man and a kid. And he's he's got a bright, bright future. That's great. Yeah. And now in terms of the Red Sox scout team, is this something you'll continue to do every year? Or do you expect to do again next year? Uh, immediate conversations right after we finished that tournament was we are doing this again and it's only going to get better. So we are going to continue to do it. We're going to do it as long as they allow me to do it. And um, I feel like now having a full year head start on this thing and, and um, you know, it wasn't easy to put it all together. It really wasn't. It, it was done in a very short period of time. And, um, you know, I, I, it was kind of a grind and a head scratcher every once in a while, and a lot of nerves about getting the equipment and, uh, if you saw my hotel room the night before they showed up there with me organizing all the players' bags and stuff like that, it was like a bomb went off. But all said and done, uh, great experience. And uh, the Red Sox were very, very happy with with what we put on the field and the product we put out there and the players. And uh, we, we got the green light to move forward with it. That's great. Yeah, and, and with this tournament, there's group play. So you kind of get stuck with four four other teams, I think it is, from all yep. or, all over around, around the nation or even some uh, players from Canada um, so I mentioned NEB national being the other team from new England, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean you have any interaction with them. You didn't play with them. Um, right. how, how, how much did you kind of connect with those guys down there? Or would there be any thought of just forming one all new England team? 
Um, no, I, I, for me, I think that uh, NEB does a great job w- with their with their program and their national teams. Uh, uh, Patterson has really solidified himself and earned the right to have his bid, and I think he does a great job. And you know, we're we're not competing, and uh, if we get down there and play him, we're competing. But you know, we're going to continue to do what we do um, through the scouting and and uh, and the Red Sox scout team, and I'm sure he's he's going to be just fine doing what he does in his NEB national team. Yeah, they did well down there, too. I think they advanced around a 32. The New England Baseball Journal podcast will be back after these words. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. We offer the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all your baseball and softball needs with our player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your event's college resources and customer attention in one place every season. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division I, II, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Well, it is fitting that you served as the Red Sox scout team coach because you were a member of the Red Sox organization from 1995 to 2006. Uh, So I did want to go back to that experience for you. Uh, And you were obviously a legend at Peabody High School, a fifth-round pick from the Red Sox. And as you see these guys now going through it, heading up into the the draft this July, June or July, depending on when they have it this year, um, how what was your draft experience like, and how much different would it be now? Well, I think uh, I think the the pro scouts have to be more selective. Um, there's less rounds. There's there's less there's less less pro affiliates out there. So there's there's less space for players. Um, I to be honest, minor league baseball is probably better now than it was back when I played, and 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 at the lower levels because there were just so many teams. Um, each team had multiple affiliates at each level. It seemed like until you got to double A AA and triple A, and then that was it. Uh, so uh, with the less less rounds. Um, the talent pool is, is really, really high. So these scouts, their, their jobs aren't easy with finding the right guys. Um, so I, I made a comment the other day, I, college baseball is probably going to be the highest level of minor league baseball as, you know, uh, rookie ball, a ball type stuff where these kids get to go. And, and, and that's kind of their two or three years of minor league baseball. Uh, the super, super talented guys, the guys that are, that are plus stuff and plus power, plus speed, plus defend, they'll get their opportunities early, but, um, you know, the game itself from where it was back in the nineties to, to where it is now, 
I think it's bigger, stronger, faster, but also limited opportunity. So you've got to be careful with, with your decisions and what you're doing. And um, everybody wants to be a pro player. I, I get it. Everybody does. And it's a great experience, but there's a difference between being a professional baseball player and playing professional baseball. So uh, if you're not, if you're not prepared to be a professional baseball player, then you end up being a pro a guy that just played pro ball. And next thing you know, you're in the men's league. So it's a, it's a hard road. It's a tough grind and you got to be, make sure you're prepared for it. But uh, you know, there's a lot of talent out there and, and, and you get their opportunities, but I think that the game has changed tremendously from where I was. Yeah, like I said, you were a fifth-round pick, which is right on the border of uh, where the money works for you so that you, you can bypass the college experience. Where where would you have gone if you had gone to college? I was committed to Boston College. Oh, okay. I was, uh, yeah, I had, I had a full scholarship to play football there, but I, they were going to allow me to play baseball. So um, I was going to be a two-way guy at BC. Uh, fortunate for me, I was a full scholarship guy, which in baseball – um, full scholarships are really, really hard to, to come by. And, and I was a full football scholarship. So the Red Sox honored that scholarship. So when my playing days were done, I went back to school and worked towards my degree. I'm still a little short from it, but I always had that money to, to go back to school and, and get the education. So that, that was, that was an important part of it for my family. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and you, you advanced through the minor league system for the Red Sox in 2000. So you were drafted in 95 out of high school. So it was obviously going to be a longer minor league experience to get to the big leagues in 2000, you were named the top prospect for the Boston Red Sox and the entire organization. So, you know, all, all signs pointed you to be on track to playing in the big leagues. Who was the, uh, major league catcher that year that you, was it Veritech that you would have had? Yes. To, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh, Jason Veritech was in there. Um, I was in the big leagues in 99. It was uh, Scott Hatterberg and Jason Baratek. Jason, I think that was his first year from Seattle with us. Right. Um, but it, all signs were pointing to him being the guy he is now. And that, that was the captain. He was an amazing guy, uh, amazing catcher and a great leader. Yeah, we still see him in the Red Sox dugout now. Yep. Uh, now, in 2001, uh, your career kind of got sidetracked. You got hit in the eye with a line drive during batting practice. How, how did that happen? Um. Every day I go out there and take as catchers, you know, you, you don't have an infield or an outfield responsibility. So you basically go cover a bag. And, and if third baseman are fielding, they're throwing it across the first base. If shortstops or second baseman are feeding, they feed it into second base, turning double plays during batting practice. That day I was at second base. Uh, feed took me off the bag. And, you know, for the previous however many years I've done that, you always know it when there's a bad throw, don't try to catch, don't get outside the screens and just, wasn't thinking, stepped out, tried to catch the ball. And as I caught it, I turned around and line drive came up the middle and uh, hit me right in, right in the eye. Uh, did you get knocked yeah. out? I did not get knocked out. I was, uh, I was down on a knee, a uh, lot of blood, a lot of, a lot of structural damage, obviously some eye damage. Um, but uh, I was able to get up and walk off myself, but it was, it was pretty ugly. Yeah. And I was reading, uh, so your vision was, you know, impaired for the rest of your baseball career. Is it still impaired now? Yeah, unfortunately, the, the, I had a, a rupture that uh, is irreversible. And uh, there's the only way I can describe it, it's kind of like a spider web uh, crack or through my vision. I, I can't see through the uh, inner part of, of my vision. Um, so it's just kind of a blind spot for me there. And it, it's every I go to the doctors every year. And uh, how can you not have something to fix this yet? And unfortunately, it's just one of those things that just can't be repaired. Yeah. How did you end up? Uh, I saw that you you hung it up after in 2006, which is five years after that occurred. Um, yep. 
how did you end up sticking around for five more years if your vision was flawed? Um, as a catcher, it didn't affect me. It only really affected me as a hitter. Um, my, I, I had to let things get a little bit deeper. My, it was in my right eye, so my back eye. Um, I, really, I really couldn't see the ball, and my, my depth perception was a little screwed up. Um, when I was catching, I could look straight on, and it, it didn't affect me as much. And you know, with with more repetitions, catching bullpens and stuff like that, I started to realize, okay, I, I can catch, I can still catch at a high level. And I was always a really good catch and throw guy. Um, and it, I just, I ended up being that that veteran presence. And uh, you know, a lot of the younger pitchers coming up, I ended up catching those guys, the younger talent, younger talented catchers that were coming up. I helped support them, teach them how to call games and stuff like that. So. I was on track to being a coach. Um, my last year with Cincinnati uh, had a conversation. The GM at the time was Tim Naring, who used to be a Red Sox guy. And he said, uh, he said, Lomaz, that was my nickname. Lomaz, uh, he goes, this is your last year as a player. He said, you're going to be coaching rookie ball for us next year. I said, no, no, I can still play. And he said, no, no, you're done. And he was right. And I tried to play one more year. And, um, you know, I had a couple opportunities to, to coach early in pro ball. I, I still get phone calls to coach in pro ball, but once I left the game and started doing this and, and having the facility and working with kids, I just, I fell in love with it. So um, that's just kind of how the path went for me. Yeah. I talked to Matt Antonelli a couple of weeks ago about his decision to retire and how I expected it to be one of the most difficult decisions he'd ever made, but he kind of said that decision gets made for you, you know, like no all doubt. of a sudden you just don't have a spot on a roster, or, you know, you get demoted yep. and you're like, I'm not going back to triple a. Uh, what was that decision like for you? Uh, that was exactly right. <laughs> it, 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 you know, I, I, I would have tried to keep playing as long as I could until somebody takes it away from you. Um, but the writing was on the wall and, uh, you know, going into that off season, I, I, I didn't have any free agency offers, you know, where the year before I had a ton of free agency offers. Um, and it was just a situation where I just kind of, the writing was on the wall and, you know, I initially said, okay, I'm going to just going to step away. My daughter was two years old. Um, I've been traveling, you know, the previous two years playing pro ball and, I said, you know, I'm just going to be a dad for a year and be a, be a husband for a year and, you know, we'll see where it goes. But the further you get away from pro ball, the, the, the more you are away from pro ball. So it, it's, it's kind of somebody made a comment to me, professional baseball doesn't wait for anybody. Um, you know, so it was just kind of one of those things. And uh, like one, like I said, once I started doing this, I kind of gravitated towards it and, and never, never looked back. Hmm. Did you ever, um, when that the year that you went home uh, to your wife and your family, did you ever consider doing anything outside of baseball uh, professionally? Um, you know, I, my buddy of mine had a I had a mortgage company at the time, and you know, he's like, "Hey, I'll train you to do mortgages and stuff." And it, it I, I started doing it, and it really wasn't my niche. So, uh, uh, plus the market crashed immediately after I started doing that, so it didn't really work out, but. Um, I, I think I was, I think I was made to be a baseball guy. Yeah, obviously. Uh, and so you were an instructor, but for five years before you started the show in 2011, and that's just expanded, you know, over the last yeah. decade, you know, significantly, have you been able to find the fulfillment you found, uh, in your playing days? Yeah. I mean, to, to be able to be impactful, impressionable, um, you know, mentor, you know, those things, there's a, there's a lot of gratification from that. And, you know, we've had guys now gone on to, you know, be professional baseball players and they, they still call me and they still reach out to me. And um, we were down in Fort Myers uh, not too long ago. And Stephen Hazer, who was one of our guys, uh, a second round pick out of Michigan, uh, 
down in instructional league, came over, talked to the team, um, hung out for a while, stayed the whole game, you know, talking to the guys, working with our pitchers. He was awesome, you know. So that that th- this whole cycle, um, it, it, it's been so gratifying, and you know, to be able to to take guys from very young ages and develop them into into young men, into really good baseball players, and you know, beyond the game itself, there's more to it than that. And not everybody gets an opportunity to be a professional baseball player. And not everybody gets an opportunity to be a college baseball player, but, you know, in those moments of learning and teaching and stuff like that, hopefully there's life lessons that they can carry on for the rest of their lives. Yeah. You mentioned Steve Hazer. He was a high draft pick this last year. I saw on your website there, there have been, I think five uh, guys from the show who have been drafted uh, by professional baseball teams uh, who are some of the more memorable guys or bigger names to come through the show? Um, so right now, uh, Jacob Wallace and uh, Pat Rotolo, they're, they're they're doing really well in the, each of their organizations. I, I think both of them are going to be big leaguers. Uh, Jared Dupree just got drafted from – so th- these guys weren't on there yet. Jared Dupree just got drafted out of Northeastern, had a monster year at Northeastern. Um, he's in the Giants organization. Um, Dominic Keegan, who is still down at Vanderbilt, he got drafted, um, but he decided to go back to school. Obviously, Stephen Hazier, Sebastian Keene, who is he'll get drafted again this year. Um, he's going on to have a really good career at Northeastern. Uh, Brandon Bingle, Mickey Gasper. Uh, there's 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 been a, no, a number of guys that are just doing really really well and. You know, taking their experiences as players, as young young players, into collegiate players, into pro players. Yeah, I didn't realize you had so many guys. Yeah, that's that list is going to expand. You know, over the next year or two, with guys who either just went back to school or like Sebastian Key right. is going to be. He'll be a high yeah. draft pick. Do you have a facility? I I read in the Lynn item you have a facility opening up in Peabody, your hometown. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we got that approved. Uh, I was I was there earlier today. The build out is going great. It's it's going to be a really nice facility. Um, it, it's going to be my, my original facility reincarnated with a little bit more height and size to it. Um, and you know, what we were able to accomplish out of that Lawrence mass facility. Um, now I've, I've taken over the, uh, the, the facility up in Salem, New Hampshire, which is now branded new balance training center up in Salem, New Hampshire. That's 22,000 square feet. We just redid that all new netting, all new light, all new turf. It looks awesome. And now the Peabody facility. So, um, you know, my, my brand itself is expanding geographically. So it's, I have to keep up with that. Um, you know, we want to try to be as unbiased as possible with, with travel because it, it's really hard and um, parents are putting a lot of time and investing a lot of money for the kids. So, you know, having, having everybody go in one direction all the time is it can get hard. So having this North shore facility in Peabody for us is, is going to be a really, really uh, big for expansion. Yeah, it's amazing how many of those facilities there are now. Um, I, you know, you said you earned a football scholarship at BC. I feel like, at least when I was in high school, it was a lot more. You know, guys during the winter kind of shut it down for baseball because they were, right. you know, they didn't have these opportunities. Was that your experience too, where it was difficult to find places to play during the winter? There was nothing. It was like I think there was like a coin op place on one fourteen in in Middleton, um, Sluggers Alley. Oh my God. I can't believe I just remembered that <laughs> sluggers alley. It was like a coin off place. You'd put the coins in and the, you know, machines would shoot the balls out at you. That, that was it. When I trained, I trained at Peabody high school. Uh, that, that's, that's where I worked out. That's where I did my indoor training, baseball, long tossing. There was just really nothing. Um, unfortunately, because of that, I, I ended up moving down to Florida because the guys that were from Florida, California, Texas, that were outside training all year round, they were so much, so much further ahead than I was coming out of the Northeast that 
I was playing catch up in spring training where they were mid season form. So we just, myself and a few other guys from the Northeast decided to move down there. We got a condo together and, um, you know, just started training fully all year round down there to, in, towards our profession. Yeah. And the technology is just, you know, taken off too with the rap Soto and, you know, everything no else. Doubt. Um, yep. have you ever, I wanted to ask before I let you go, I know you've got a lesson to give here, but have you ever considered, uh, either coaching at the college or pro level? Um, I, like I said, I, I get, I get offers a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, like I said, I, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing right now. Really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying being able to place guys in certain places and, you know, being in, in, impactful in their lives and, you know, coaching up at, at younger levels. So at, at this point right now, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing, but, you know, if something down the road comes up and, you know, I, I, I also want to spend a lot of time college coaching's a grind. It really is. And there's really no off season. I got a 15 year old, 11 year old and 10 year old. And this doing what I'm doing affords me time to be able to get to their stuff too. So um, that's important to me. So maybe when they get a little bit older, that's great. Well, Steve, thank you so much for sharing uh, the WWBA championship update with us. And uh, it's been great talking to you about your experience, both as a player and an instructor. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks to Steve Lamazny for coming on the pod. I loved hearing about his experience at the WWBA World Championship. It's clear that New England's top prospects in the class of 22 can compete on a national stage, and it'll be interesting to see how many end up getting drafted next summer. It was also crazy to hear about how his career started to come to an end when he was hit in the face with a baseball during batting practice. Before we close out the pod, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert when each podcast goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit BaseballJournal.com. We update the site daily with new stories. Click the subscribe tab to get the fall edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore baseball. We also want to hear from you. If you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask, send a DM on Twitter or email dguttonplan at BaseballJournal.com. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast.